spend my dollar. It's not about what you want, it's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to a general Akbar edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. It looks like Akbar and Saban were right. They saw it coming. It was a trap. Texas A&M had two ugly losses leading up to the Alabama game, and we, me, hand-raised, uh, other fans, players, and perhaps even some coaches expected Texas A&M to fold. That's not altogether an unreasonable expectation given the losses to Mississippi State and Arkansas, and those were not pretty. But good on them. They didn't fold. And seriously, we're going to talk about Alabama because that's what we do on this podcast, but really good on Texas A&M for the heart and tenacity and resolve that they showed, not only in the game, but in their preparation for the game. It would have been easy for them to fail. They did not fall victim to the rat poison that's custom crafted for every team, every fan base, and every particular situation situation. Instead, AM doubled down on a strong defensive line and a talented bunch of offensive skill personnel. They correctly reasoned a little improvement at quarterback and offensive line with the rest of the tools that we have will go a long way. And they got it and lots more. They got it to the degree that they were able to topple a better team not fully focused on the task at hand. As far as traps go, Fred Jones would be proud. As far as Alabama fans go, this game was a mess. So many individual issues to point to. Offense, defense, special teams, players, coaches, play calling, schematics. It's something everywhere, everywhere you look. It's easily disheartening. Uh, earmuffs here It was something of a shit show from an Alabama perspective. Yet the opposite is also true, and this is not a baby in bathwater situation. It's not a reversal of fortune that, that causes you to want to sell a car. Stop asking. I'm not talking about it. But rather, it's a tightly coiled deposit of the devil's soft serve on a tile floor, making it easier to clean up. Yes, it's icky and smells, just as Saban warned after week two. When it stinks, it stinks for everyone. I guess now it's just wafting down in all of its glory to the general admission seating. Just know the lesson isn't the stink. It's how you handle it. Ironically, Texas A&M is our example. Build from what you have such that even a little improvement can go a long way. And folks, Alabama has a lot to build from, more than most. The tie still controls its playoff destiny and has won more national titles during the Saban era after ugly losses than without them. Been there, done that, and bunches of you literally have those t-shirts. Will it happen again? Can't say. It's much too early, but don't rule it out. Let's do what we do best. Just be careful what you touch and the shoes stay in the garage when we're done. All right, offense. Let's jump into offense. Bryce Young. Uh, last week, we talked about Bryce Young playing better than his statistics. Uh, if you look at his stats uh, and, and and you sort of bump that against your impression of his play, the stats didn't live up to uh, the perception of his play. This week, I think it's the opposite. His perception of his play did, don't live up to his stats. And so that's an interesting sort of contrast there, right? Uh, and it's, there's nothing personal in that. It's just when you get the game, when you watch the game and you see Alabama struggle and you see like all these things that uh, you just make you want to pull your hair out and you start to read a stat line and you say 28 of 48. And then you pause and you realize he threw for 369 yards and three touchdowns against only one interception. That's pretty good. Those are really Really good numbers. The 20 incompletions, those are frustrating, but you start to think about them. I read a couple of media outlets that indicated that seven or eight, depending upon you know who you're reading and how they're sort of interpreting things, that seven or eight of those 20 incompletions were drops. Uh, that's just over a third. I would say a third, a, a second third, if you will, were off the mark and just barely. A little bit high, a little bit in front or behind where the receiver couldn't make the catch. And so over a third were drops, hit him in the hand, should have caught him. Uh, roughly another third were just barely off the mark, a foot or two off the mark. 
And then maybe a third were just everything else. Maybe they were batted balls. Maybe they were there was an interception. Maybe they were throwaways. I know we got a grounding call once. And so everything else sort of goes in, in that bucket. And so you can reason a third are drops. And again, we're not doing sour grapes here. We're just thinking things through. You clean up. Again, we're using AM as an example where things get a little bit better and then it manifests into things actually being a whole lot better. And so let's clean up a couple of the drops. Let's clean up a couple of the passes that are off the mark. And all of a sudden, these numbers look a whole lot better. He's easily over 400 yards with four touchdowns. You don't believe it? Okay. Let's add Cam uh, uh, Cameron Latou's drop in the end zone. Well, that's a touchdown. It's only a handful of yards, but that's a touchdown. Give Mechie one more catch from all of the drops that he had. And give Billingsley one more catch from all of the drops that he had. And those are third down conversions. And so with just three more catches, some of those are drops. Some of those are misplaced ball. In fact, they all, literally all three had drops. And so that's not even on the quarterback. You give those uh, catches. And we can't go back and do this, but we just have to think, how bad is it really? Is it a foundational crack or are these simple things that we can clean up? Well, across those three players, you give them one more catch that that literally bounced out of their hands. I don't think that's a foundation issue. I think that's catch the damn ball, concentrate on your job, do what you're here to do. Uh, That's a touchdown. That's a couple more drives that sustained and potentially uh, that impacts the outcome of the game. Again, I'm not trying to lipstick a pig here. We're just looking at what do we have versus what do we not have? And we have a lot. Alabama has a lot here. Uh, Bryce ran at least twice. Uh, once was on for a first down. It was a 15-yard run, and it kept the initial touchdown drive alive. And so that's something we've not seen Bryce do maybe once or twice on the season. And we saw it twice, uh, specifically twice on, on Saturday. And the first run was of the variety. It was of the type that, gosh, that's what we've been wanting. Uh, where he where he rolls out and it's just a vast real estate in front of him. It looks like farm pasture in front of him. It's so green and lush. Run into that child, and he did that Saturday again. It was a fifteen uh, a fifteen yarder uh, for a touchdown. Like to see him slide a little better. He's a little clunky in his in his slides, but uh, I, I I like that dynamic being there. I like that being a threat, and he doesn't have to do it every possession. Uh, if he does that twice a game to keep a drive alive, I think that's critical. I think that's I think that's important. So when we think about Bryce and we think about the quarterback position, that's a foundation that Alabama can and will uh, build from. It's a foundation that Alabama this season alone has won from. And so when we think about what does Alabama have, amidst all of our frustration, we have a lot going for us. And at the quarterback position, we certainly do. Another sort of foundational cornerstone is Brian Robinson. Uh, he had 24 carries. It seemed like he had a lot more than that. Uh, he, his name uh, kept being called, and uh, and his performance was outstanding. He had a buck 47, which compared to last week is low, but he only did it on 24 carries, so that was uh, that was outstanding. Uh, he also had four catches for 60 yards, so truly demonstration uh, demonstrating his versatility there. I think he probably got a couple more receptions because Jace wasn't available, but it was nice to see Brian Robinson be able to handle those. And he's being that sort of dual threat running back that Najee was last year. And so that was certainly uh, certainly nice to see. Uh, Brian Robinson, if you net those out, uh, 207 yards of uh, total offense is outstanding. Certainly something the Alabama offense can build from. And uh, only on 28 touches. I say only sort of with air quotes there. That's that starts to be a lot, but nonetheless, you know, he had 36 uh, last week. So, relatively speaking, now he had no scores, he had no touchdowns, and I know that is a point of frustration uh, amongst Alabama fans. And and let's poke at that. Obviously, B. Rob's a, a foundation we can build from. Uh, there were three. There was a particular possession late in the game. I want to say it was in the fourth quarter uh, where Alabama netted with a field goal, and it was a field goal that. Uh, that made the game 30 to 31. And so Alabama was down by four, had the ball uh, first down inside the five, passed the ball three times, ended up with a field goal, and the field goal still kept Alabama behind. The touchdown would have been phenomenal to go ahead with that possession. We got a little bit conservative there and uh, and kicked the field goal, which I think was probably probably appropriate uh, to, uh, to to narrow the gap so that we could then later come back and potentially take the lead uh, with a field goal. But the point of frustration that fans have is that three of those four plays, so you kick, so first, second, you're going to kick on fourth down. 
first, second, third down were all passes. We were inside the five, and we've got Brian Robinson, uh, who's putting up a, a monster of a day, not given any carries. And that's frustrating. And you can look at it, especially in hindsight, and say, damn, that was really, really frustrating. I'll be candid with you as a fan watching the game. It didn't it didn't really register with me. I didn't feel like we were missing anything. I didn't feel like we were playing it incorrectly in the moment of play. And uh, I was almost surprised to see like a backlash. And then think about it, well, you're not surprised. We're Alabama fans. This is what we do. Uh, but the reality is, if you go back and look at it, there were uh, prior to that point in the game, because there were more after, there were more after, prior to that point in the game, seven times Brian Robinson was stuffed for uh, two or fewer yards. So here's a guy who carried the ball 27 times for a buck 47, seven times, seven times he rushed for two or less yards. So basically stuffed. And so when you're talking about inside the five at the four, two yards doesn't get it done. And then you got to line up and, and do it again. And can you even get two again? Uh, that's seven before this possession. He had, I, I stopped counting, but at least two more after that. And so that's a, Put that in your math book. Nine out of 24 carries went for under two, and all of the rest of them went for almost uh, a, a buck 40. So that's that's pretty interesting. But when you think about it, in that scoring situation, we've got to try to we've got to try to do something here to score. And we've seen in short yarded situations, we struggle to run the ball. Uh, we struggle to punch the ball in against this team, who we know has a stout um, defensive line. And so when you look back with hindsight and say damn it, we should have run the ball there. Should you have? I don't know. I mean, I wish one or two of those carries had gone, and then maybe we roll the quarterback out. You know, maybe we do try a naked boot with Bryce uh, on one play. Maybe we try to run, and then maybe we try to, you know, do something. And so you have sort of a, a diversity of play call so you don't you don't get into sort of a predictability. Maybe you go into it with that kind of mindset. And so, yeah, I would have liked maybe one of the carries. And so, you know, first down – at the four, if he gets it to the one, then man, we're gonna line up and we're gonna punch it in, right? I can I can see the frustration, I can see the logic there, but I can also see it on the other side. And so let's be as frustrating frustrating as it may be, let's be cognizant of that and let's be sort of mindful and intelligent of that when we think about seven times this shit didn't work and you're gonna ask me to do it three more times. So let's be thoughtful about that. Now the passing didn't work either. We didn't score a touchdown. So I understand how that goes. Uh, I want to be careful that we're overvaluating the outcome versus the process. And uh, sometimes that's tough to do. And um, you catch me, you catch me later in the week. And I may say the opposite of what I'm saying now, because, because it is sort of a, 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 a narrow margin to, to stand on. I just think we need to look at all the facts and some of the tweets that were out there and, um, I don't think are representative of all the facts. And so I don't care where you land on that topic, just land there with the full knowledge of the story. How about that? That's fair. All right. So what else can, do we have as Alabama fans and as the team to build from? Well, Jamison Williamson, uh, Williams, uh, Jamo, uh, he definitely stood out as the number one uh, receiver, not just because of his number, but like he raised his hand and said, give me the damn ball. He had 10 catches for buck 46, uh, two touchdowns, and a two-point uh, conversion. He was nearly silent in the first half and just exploded in uh, uh, in the second half. Now, I will say that one of his touchdowns, the offensive line wasn't set uh, where he was uncovered. We were trying to get that ball off super fast to take advantage of, hey, they don't see that he's not covered. And so we were not uh, completely set. That happens for you, against you. I'm not going to feel too bad that it went in our favor. We've seen things not go in our favor, and it's it's a little bit the nature of it. So I'm not going to I'm not going to uh, bludgeon myself over that. Uh, I liked a lot that went into that. Uh, whatever sort of signaling uh, the notice of it. Uh, how many times have we sat in the stands and seen an uncovered receiver and the quarterback not notice them? And so uh, there's a lot that. Uh, that went into that. Uh, JMO, for my money, really sort of stood out as a leader uh, Saturday night. He really wanted the ball and wanted to make a big play. And so that was phenomenal. And then just the hands that he demonstrated on that two-point conversion uh, where he went to sort of the front corner of the end zone and went like deep, like it was going to be uh, deeper in the end zone and then contorted, turned back and reached back towards uh, sort of the, the, 
the goal line towards out of the end zone and uh, and pulled that ball in. I thought that was a phenomenal catch for what ended up being um, an important two-point conversion, and then suddenly it became an unimportant uh, two-point conversion. But that's just the nature of sort of the final score, the way it played out. But when it put Alabama up by seven, um, that ended up being very significant because A&M came and tied the game, and so they would have had the lead. So it ended up being a, a very, very big play. Now, from here, we're going to talk through a couple of offensive individual performances and uh, even on defense. And here it's a little harder to see what clearly is incredible that we can build from. Uh, but let's keep in mind that Alabama put up 522 total yards of offense, scored 38 points. Uh, both of those are very nice. And the tide was dominant in the third quarter. All of those, I think, are, are clearly visible. And so if we clean up just a little bit, Again, AM is an example. They cleaned up the quarterback play and offensive line play, well, more than just a little bit. It was quite impressive. Uh, but they but they kept their foundational points, their offensive skill position and the defensive line. And when they added just a little bit of contribution, it was almost uh, a multiplier effect or a force multiple, uh, multiplier, if you will. And so as Alabama fans, we need to keep that in mind. If we clean up just a little bit of these things, um, there's a force multi- uh, multiplier in effect. And so let's step through. Uh, a couple of individual uh, performances that uh, were good and bad and certainly things that we can clean up and build from. So let's do it. Uh, Roy, Roy Dale Williams uh, played sparingly. Uh, Brian Robinson was by clearly, uh, by far and away, sort of the lead back. I mean, if you're going to rank them, it's one, two, and we don't have to talk about the order. Uh, Trey didn't play, which I don't understand, but, you know, at some point we're going to learn what's going on there. We just haven't seen it yet. Uh, haven't heard about it. Uh, if there's, you know, media... Uh, in a presser, can we ask that question? And um, I don't know how you get tickets to those Zoom, Zoom calls, but uh, I think that would be a question that that I'd, I'd want to follow up on. Uh, nonetheless, I don't want to take about uh, take away from Roydell. Uh, his catch and race down the sideline, I thought it was nice that Bryce, you know, looked down the field. Uh, Gary Daniels made a point of it on the TV. Looked down the field, knew where his checkoffs were. And, in fact, when they looked at it on replay, he had a checkoff on both sides uh, of the line of scrimmage. Uh, towards both sidelines, and they were both relatively uncovered. Uh, Roydale more so, and I think you know that's where Bryce first looked because sort of the handedness of him. He's going to look to the, you know, look to the left. You sort of scan left to right, and so he was reading left to right, and so he saw Roydale, uh, Roydale first as an easier throw for him as opposed to having to turn the body all the way back around to throw uh, to your right with your left hand, or, or to the right with your right hand. Sort of a little biomechanics there, right? Uh, but nonetheless, Rodeau uh, made a nice grab and just raced down the sideline, almost like with an abandon. I don't want to say reckless, but certainly with an abandon. He wanted in that end zone, and he clutched the ball tight and ran, uh, and then he sort of sacrificed uh, jumping uh, into the end zone. So there were some, you know, some skill uh, demonstrated there with the hands, some speed demonstrated there, uh, and certainly his tenacity to get into the end zone. Uh, I thought that was phenomenal. That's something that we can build from. Uh, would like to see more of that, and I'm certain that we will. Uh, John Mechie was seven catches for 88 yards. What do we call him? Um, sort of the something workman, dangerous workman uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think that still fits. I think that shoe still fits. He's not a spectacular player, and I think it's the nature of him. He's not a number one. And that's not an indictment because he's a very powerful number two or number three. But when he's the number one, he struggles and it's just the reality of it. I think he can be a little bit more reliable with his hands. And so he could have had nine catches for whatever the math would have been. A couple more first downs would have been the most important part of that stat. And uh, so he's got to work on his drops, but it's there. It's, it's like literally just right there. It's not something that he doesn't have. It's something that he needs to more consistently tap into. And so again, I'm very much taking a half full. I'm not trying to fill it up with uh, sour grapes, but I do think uh, there's a half a glass half full way of looking at this, and that's the, the approach that I'm uh, actively taking. Uh, Cameron Latou was one catch for 10. Boy, he could have had two for, what, 14 and uh, and a touch, and he, and he dropped that touchdown, and I'm not piling up on the kid because I know he feels bad about it. Uh, but, uh, man, you know, former linebacker playing tight end, he's just got to work on those hands. Uh, we've seen him make some really nice catches, and we've seen him be an effective weapon at the tight end position. And no one has fallen out of love uh, with Cameron Latou. And so he's a guy that can make a simple, subtle, small improvement in his play. And all of a sudden, 
you know, it's, uh, it, 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 it materializes, uh, it's a material result for Alabama. And so that's what we're rooting for. Again, these are foundational blocks that, uh, maybe we didn't see the best of their best, uh, on Saturday, but we have seen the best of their best and we have seen what they can contribute. And we get, when we get sort of all the mess cleaned up, coaching staff, players, uh, they get this sorted. We have a lot to build from. Alabama has a lot to build from. So, and Bill Lindsley, sort of the man himself, if you will, uh, he had a couple of drops. And for my money, it seems like the first couple of plays that Alabama went to Bill Lindsley, they all led, they all had negative results. And I don't think that's all a reflection on Jaleel. Now, coach seems to think maybe it is. I don't know the play calling. I don't know what the routes were supposed to be. But I know the first route, uh, the first pass uh, at the goal line to Billingsley, the, the one that was turned off. When I saw him, when I saw him lined up, I, it's, I, I effectively knew what he was going to run. He was going to run a shallow cross, and then as he comes out of the line of, uh, as he comes sort of clean off the line of scrimmage, and so you know that shallow cross. If it's a man-to-man coverage, then there's going to be some pick. There's going to be some scraping going on, and if it's a zone. You know, he, he's going to run it a little bit shallow and the zone is going to play a little bit deep. And so he's going to run in front of uh, his his cover and then create some separation. So I get the concept of the route. I get the concept of the play. And as I was sitting there watching the play unfold, almost in slow motion, I was like, this is what we're running here. And the defensive back, um, I don't know that it, anybody ran the wrong route. I just think the DB played it very, very well. They've been watching that stuff on film. And uh, the way that he snuck under and so he wasn't scraped, he wasn't scrapped, and uh, so there wasn't a pick action. And he just ran under Bill Lindsley and was able to uh, pick off the ball. He would have done well to just fall down right there, uh, and then they had the ball at the 20. But he attempted to, you know, whatever reason people do, uh, to step out. And so they got the ball at like, well, they got it at the four, which I thought was mighty generous. They should have probably gotten it at the one. But uh, nonetheless, um, we've seen what Bill Lindsley can do. I'm not piling on the kid. We've seen what he can do. And uh, he did have a couple of bobbled balls. They hit him in the hands, hit him in the chest. He should have caught him, and uh, he definitely, uh, definitely should have caught him. And and those those are first downs. And so we know that Jillo can make those catches. We know that he's talented enough. It's not it's not a deficiency of talent. Uh, it's just we need these things all firing at once. And when we play a game like Texas A&M, where they're riled up, they're full of piss and vinegar, and we have everyone multiple players having their worst performance, it's an additive effect or subtractative effect. I don't know how that, I don't know English language well enough to say that, but nonetheless, it compounds. It's a compounding effect. Uh, Let's talk about offensive line, and this gets harder to say good things. I think the offensive line, uh, we failed, um, or if we want to be generous, we were slow to adjust to Texas A&M, sort of overload blitz, especially there on the left side of the offensive line. Uh, I thought it was genius that, you know, you know, they know, Hey, Alabama's left side of the line is their best. And so let's attack it because we don't have to do anything special to lessen the effectiveness of the right side. So let's attack where they're strong. And then we're going to be able to bleed through there because they can't block as many bodies with what they have. And then we know the other side of the line is just going to do what it does. And so we will consistently get pressure from both sides. And I thought that was a pretty uh, pretty clever uh, game plan. Uh, we also run, Alabama runs more to the left. And so when you overload to that side, uh, it takes that away from, from a running option. So I thought Alabama was was definitely slow in picking up the, the blitz overload. Uh, Texas A&M used it early a lot and then sort of backed off from it and then started to bring it back. And uh, I thought they were effective in that regard. Uh, Chris Owens, I see more people uh, in the articles and the comments and stuff, the places where I go to sort of read and, and see things. I see more people. Um, oh, I'm going to sound ugly. I sound more. I, I see more people sort of catching up to sort of my take on his play following Florida and really following uh, um, uh, Mercer, if we want to be honest. And so I was going to say something sort of punchy. I have written down that, uh, you know, Chris, Chris Owens had me thinking of John Bonham again. So a little Zeppelin reference there. Um, John was a drummer. And so it's a reference to Chris Owens getting beaten like a drum. So there you go. We saw that again Saturday against, um, against Texas A&M. Overall, because I do want to find some positives. Uh, overall, I thought the offensive line uh, handled the noisy environment better. Uh, and in fact, 
uh, I was surprised. I've never seen this before, but uh, twice Texas A&M was called for, and I forget the the name of the the penalty. It was a it was a real sort of clever name, where they, they seemed they appeared to be clapping. Whether they literally were clapping or not, it looked like it. And the officials, uh, the back judge, uh, you know, threw the flag twice. And uh, A&M was pretty demonstrative. We're not trying to to draw them off sides by clapping, uh, but apparently. That's a, uh, you know, when you go to a silent cap count, not even a silent count, uh, you go to a clap count as opposed to hut, hut, hut. And clapping can be effective, sort of. It, it's just the, the the sharpness of the noise and in close proximity, it can overcome some of uh, some of the crowd. So it's so it's become sort of a common way to, to snap the ball. And so when the offense is doing that, the defense can't clap, obviously, uh, because then you know, you're drawing, it's like saying hut, uh, when you're a linebacker and you can't do that either. So, uh, nonetheless. And so there was a couple of penalties there I thought was interesting, but, uh, I thought the offensive line, uh, the point is I thought the offensive line handled the environment better, at least compared to how they handled it against Florida. So I'll take that as improvement. Uh, it was another historic, uh, crowd. Uh, I think Tamu had their second largest crowd. I think Florida had a top five crowd and those are historically loud, stadiums anyways and so when you're historically uh, historical sized audience in a venue that's already a reputation for being what it is uh, ESPN did us no favors in saying that uh, there was limited home field advantage there so thank you for that I think uh, the offensive line acquitted themselves very well and again these are not just two loud places that we that we performed in but historical crowds uh, these places have had uh, reputations for years uh, as being tough places to play and uh, and we got nearly their best ever in two locations this season. So again, it's not an excuse; it's just reality, and it's an interesting uh, point of reality. Uh, and I thought Darian Dalcourt played better. He still had some high snaps, and Danielson called him out uh, at least once. But he looked better than he did last week against Ole Miss, and so we'll certainly take that. You have to fight with me. I've got a little congestion. Uh, it's not COVID. We're good. Uh, but uh, uh, play calling, I want to get into play calling a, a little bit. We talked about uh, Billingsley in the red zone as being predictable. Uh, that led to an interception. Again, I think I called that from uh, from the Barker lounger. We struggle, and I say we, uh, the quarterback, the receivers, the offense, struggle with shallow crosses. And I'm I'm mystified on that. Uh, we've had several players. It's not just an individual player. We've had several players drop the shallow, uh, sort of the shallow cross, and um, you know the 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 slant. And so Mechie Billingsley certainly come to mind. Jamo has dropped uh, a couple of those. Not uh, uh, not Saturday, but in other games. And I think Bolden has as well. Uh, I think we've missed uh, with JoJo Earl there, there as well. So that's at least five different receivers. Some of those. Are, and it's a mixed bag. They're all close to the mark, but not all perfectly on the mark. And some are the receiver clearly should have caught the ball. And some are that clearly was, you know, a little bit behind or ahead or high. And some are clearly the receiver and some are clearly the quarterback, which makes that interesting. Uh, it's not consistently the quarterback missing that play. And then we say, well, we shouldn't run that with the receiver. Bryce will hit it on target sometimes, and the receiver will miss. And so you think we've got to clean that up on both ends. And I wonder, uh, and Jordan, maybe I'm asking this question to you. Uh, you're a coach, uh, an offensive-minded coach. I wonder if there's something systemic that's happening there. Is it something with Bryce, with his release, with his vision, uh, he is a shorter quarterback, and that's not an indictment. It's a reality. And so is there something where he's almost throwing through a picket fence or looking through a picket fence uh, for where the receiver is going to be, and that can throw off his accuracy and timing on a short a short slant or short cross? And then, and then the opposite of that is true with uh, the receiver because the receiver knows, hey, this ball is going to come to me in a larger catch window than is optimal. And so I'm, I'm trying to catch it in a larger window, which makes me less precise when it does come at me hot, right where it needs to be in the chest. If I were expecting it to come in the chest and I was looking for it in a tight window coming in hot, then my hands are ready. My mind's ready. And if it's going to come like in a yard by yard window, you know, a square yard, 
then my hands and my mind and my eyes are looking at a, at a sort of larger window and maybe that throws it off. I don't know. I don't know. Just curious about that. I think there's something there uh, in my mind. We've got to tighten that up. Alabama has to has to tighten that up. And if they run a hundred of those uh, after practices or before practices, you know they've definitely got to tighten that up. Uh, we talked about Robinson at the goal line. Uh, I, I can be mixed on that. I'm not going to let that make me angry because there were so many other things and there were other examples of Robinson uh, getting stuff that that doesn't kill me uh, so much. What I didn't like was uh, on the last possession, I think the first down on Alabama's last possession, uh, Alabama ran to the right for what seemed like the, the first time. And I don't understand that uh, other than I think that may be some NFL coming out of of uh, O'Brien. You know, you play in the NFL, everyone has like talent and everyone's talent is, uh, is elevated. You've got the best players from college, on both sides of the ball, and it becomes about one-on-one matchups, but it also comes, uh, it also sometimes comes to predictability. And so we've run to the to the left all day. Let's surprise them here with a run to the right because we haven't done it all day. And so our personnel is equal to their personnel, and we should be able to make a play because we'll catch them sort of napping. In college, I think there's greater variability in personnel. And we know that Alabama on the right side of the line isn't very good. Uh, and so to think that we're going to run where we're not very good against a defensive line that we know is better than us, I don't think the surprise factor is enough to overset that, uh, to offset that. And so I thought, especially on that drive, if you want to do that in the second quarter and see if there's something there, then, you know, then tickle that fancy. But to do that, what you know is going to be your last possession of the game. I don't, that just didn't seem right to me. Uh, I think you line it up behind, you know, the monster with a big ass and you run behind him because that's where you've been gaining ground uh, all day. And so I was a little bit frustrated with that uh, in terms of play calling. So again, a lot to like on the offense and a lot that we need work on. And it's a lot of individual work. And if we can get a little bit, 10, 20% improvement in a couple of these areas, then I do think there's a force multiplier. Uh, I do think Alabama would, in that case, uh, have an opportunity to, to score more points and and potentially change the outcome of the game. Taking nothing against AM, don't hear me say that. Uh, offensive mini game ball will go on Roydale Williams uh, for what we talked about. Uh, he only had two carries for three yards, but he had two catches. Uh, I can't read my own page. Uh, looks like 28 yards and a touchdown. He very much looked like, especially on the touchdown play, he very much looked like uh, a facsimile of Jace. I don't think he's quite as good as Jace, but I think he's really close. And I think with uh, increased opportunity, then uh, he'll his fans will start to see that. And, in fact, there was one play, uh, and it may have been the touchdown play, where he was lined up in the backfield, split two running backs uh, in the backfield. And we saw that last week against Ole Miss for the first time. And we saw that replicated uh, against Texas A&M just with Roy Dell instead of, uh, instead of Jace. So I thought that was impressive. Uh, I certainly enjoyed, uh, enjoyed seeing that. All right. Let's flip the field and talk defense. I probably have less to say uh, about defense. I don't understand. I'm going to jump into sort of some play calling, and then I'll hit some some individuals. Uh, for me, defense was more about play calling than it was the individual performance. Uh, offense was more about individual performance in, in my mind, and, and we sort of talked that through. In defense, I don't understand why we tried to outsmart ourselves. Uh, the Ole Miss game plan, uh, the Ole Miss sort of approach that we took, that the Alabama defensive uh, staff took to the Ole Miss game, uh, I don't see why that doesn't travel. I don't see why that doesn't. Uh, carry over to Texas A&M and frankly to any other opponent because it's not, I mean, obviously you game plan for tendencies and what an opponent is going to do, but there was also more of a philosophical approach that the Tide defensive staff took to the game plan against Ole Miss. We're going to run a single scheme. We're going to run our nickel package not a dime and not a rabbit and not a, uh, a base and not a regular. We're going to run our, our, our nickel and we are going to substitute in and out of the nickel. So we have fresh players, but we're going to play the nickel so that we know everyone's assignment 
against however the opponent lines up. Well, that's a great idea, especially when you struggle rotating in and out of what might be perfect plays and you get caught sort of with your pants down or you get caught flat-footed or you get caught between you know plays or you get caught and someone's uncovered. And we saw that multiple times against A&M. Why didn't we dial it back and say, look, let's go. We'll practice the hell out of this. Let's run the nickel. Everybody knows the nickel. Everybody knows everyone's responsibility in the nickel. Let's do that. Let's get our feet under us and then go from there. I don't understand why. I don't understand why we did that. I don't think it's purely a function of um, Drew Sanders being out of the game. I don't put that on Dallas Turner's shoulders at all. In fact, I thought he played well. Uh, He had five tackles, one uh, tackle for a loss. Now, one thing that the Alabama defense scheme that they did do in the second half, and again, this is not pointed at Dallas Turner either, but they took an outside linebacker off off the field and put on uh, a third defensive lineman and effectively play in a defensive end position. So we have an outside linebacker that can play, plays mostly like a defensive end. And so we took that player off. It just happened to be uh, Dallas Turner. I think that's more incidental. And we brought on a third uh, defensive lineman, which gave us some more beef up the middle. And I think, uh, I think in the second half, or at least through most of the second half, certainly that third quarter, Alabama really stuffed uh, the A&M running game. And I thought, that was, uh, I thought that was impressive. And that seemed to work up until end of the third quarter. Uh, we rotated back in and put more of the rabbit package in, if you will, and put Dallas Turner back at the outside linebacker. And then we seemed to fall into the same issues in the fourth, that, in the fourth quarter that uh, the Alabama defense struggled with in the first half. And so I thought that was frustrating. If you want to mix that in and see, like, hey, can we – and then you should quickly see, no, that's not working. Let's go back. And you should be able to tell that in a play or two. Uh, there should be keys that should tell the coaches, hey, that's not going to work. But but we didn't. Malachi Moore, we talked about last week, the Ole Miss game being, you know, potentially his worst performance in Tuscaloosa or, you know, for Alabama. And um, it's not fair to say that this one was worse, although it was very early in the game and incredibly unnecessary hit uh, on a quarterback. Uh, the ball had been thrown. It didn't, in fact, it was an intimidation kind of thing, and, and certainly he led with his head. And so it cost him three quarters of play. I'm not going to blame the outcome on Malachi Moore, but could we have benefited by Malachi Moore? Absolutely. We absolutely could have. Uh, Brian Branch came into the game uh, as a replacement for Moore or Kai, and uh, I, we love Brian Branch. He's a phenomenal player. He had 11 tackles, two TFLs, uh, but he also – uh, got beat for at least one touchdown, uh, maybe two. And my mind wonders because he sort of rotates with Malachi. Uh, the two of them rotate. And so the poor plays that Branch had would potentially have Malachi been in the game. Would they have had the same outcome? Or even if Branch was still in the game, would he maybe have not been as exhausted uh, because he had not taken as many reps or not as many snaps, and that caused him to miss those. Those are the types of things we don't know, uh, but they're the things that we need to watch and um, and and see how they play out. Maybe over time, and uh, you know, maybe Branch isn't that good in coverage, and we could repeatedly see him regardless of his level of fatigue, uh, or maybe we see him get coached up, and we think, man, he probably would have played those better. It, it might be unknowable as fans, but those are the things that we look for and, and we talk about and, and we wonder about because, yeah, that's the fun part. Uh, Helms, again, uh, was near a high in tackles. He had seven. He also had an interception, but he also missed a couple plays. And that seems to be his M.O., where he misses a couple plays. He produces. He produces a lot, uh, but he also misses a couple of plays. And, and, I, and I boil down to the same point of wonder last year. Helms really sort of emerged as a star, but he spent most of the season platooning with Daniel Wright. And so I've been calling, you've been listening. Uh, I've been calling for us to platoon uh, Helms, not because I don't like him, uh, but let's diversify a little bit what we're putting back there. If you, if you uh, platoon Helms with Brian Branch, you're getting two flavors of safety, which can give the defense uh, more to think about and more to consider. You also have fresher players on the field at the point of play. And I think that's uh I think that's an important uh, an important factor uh, there as well, especially on some of the plays where uh, I go back to the Florida game, just a brutally hot day, and Helms' uniform 
looks like he's been rolling in the mud. He has just been making plays everywhere and just makes a sort of a bonehead play. And you think, man, would a fresher Helms have made that play different? Would a fresher Helms have made a better play there? My answer is yes, because I think he's that good of a player. So, again, uh, I would say that we we should platoon uh, Helms. And, again, Malachi Moore, if he had not uh, done what he did, and he was on the sideline, he was mad, and I got mad watching him be mad because, like, dude, you did that to yourself, and now we got to figure out how to play without him. And, again, it's not that I blame him. I just think you got to, like, these rules have been in place long enough. We know what's going to happen. And as much as I hate it, it was the right call. Should they be taken out of the whole game, you know, three quarters? That's a little punitive. But, you know, that's the rule for everybody. A couple of players, uh, Will Anderson, uh, Christian Harris, and, and Hank Toatoa, I thought they were all way too quiet uh, for a big game like that. And so I thought that was uh, I thought that was frustrating. Uh, it's more of an observation than it is an accusation. But – uh, like to see some improvement in their play. And damn it, if Josh Job didn't get another uh, pass interference, uh, he seems to be good for at least one of those game. And uh, man, they're costly. Uh, so those are those are expensive. We need to stop doing that. Um, I think if you were to ask me, all right, you got all this fancy stuff that you're saying. What would you do on defense? I think I'd do more than one thing, and uh, I would do some of the things that uh, that we've talked about. I would go to, and and I say this not because this is what we should call it. Just because it's because we talked about it enough this way, uh, but I, I'm I'm calling it loosely the Ole Miss base, uh, which is more of a philosophy than it is a scheme. Uh, but the Ole Miss base, I think I would, um, uh, I think I would rot- rotate that in. And again, not just the formation because we know that we base from a nickel, but just the philosophy of we're not going to try to out perfect your play because we know that our eighty percent is going to be oftentimes better than your 100%. So we don't have to go our 100% solution to your 100% play design. I think that's overkill. Our 80% solution is going to be good enough for your 100% play call most of the time. So track with me on that. Uh, So I would play more the philosophy than the formation, but let's call it the Ole Miss base uh, to give it a name. We like to name shit. Uh, So I'd give it the Ole Miss base. Um, And I would also, uh, what we saw against Texas A&M with a three-down lineman, I would rotate that in. And I don't know what we call that, a 3DL base or something, but we need to to have that where that's part of uh, the play as well. And within both of those, I think we need more rotation across the defensive line. And so whatever your formation is, if you're playing two or three defensive linemen, Go with that, but then rotate more players through uh, those assignments. And then have specifically almost defined situations where you go to dime. And so if it's third and eight, maybe I'm in a nickel. If it's a third and sort of nine or more, or you pick the number. Or if it's second and 15, you know, maybe I go to a dime situationally uh, there. And so you have almost predefined compartmentalizes times that we're going to go to a dime. And so the idea is that most of the time, schematically, we're in a nickel and like not a fancy sort of offshoot of a nickel, but we're just in the nickel. And then and then situationally, maybe we go to the third defensive lineman in short yardage and then above a yardage. Uh, a yardage point. You almost have like a chart, right? Uh, where you're where you're rotating that. And does that make you predictable? A little bit. Uh, although you can schematically do things, blitz from different angles from those those formations, because those are not play calls. Those are just personnel groupings. And you can do a lot of stuff within personnel groupings. And so, do you get predictable? Predictable in as far as your personnel groupings, sure. Uh, predictable in terms of what you're going to run from them, well. That's only if you don't call different shit. But I would simplify it that way from the number of personnel groupings. All right. At Platoon Elms, we've talked about that. I would work on getting Malachi and Branch on the field at the same time. We've talked about that. I would figure out a way to work McKinstry in more at cornerback, or maybe it's in the dime. Uh, I would be intentionally, even if that means I'm platooning McKinstry at the cornerback positions just straight up. And so maybe maybe there's 10% of the, the play calls that McKinstry is going to step in for Jalen Amore Davis. And maybe there's 
X percent of the play calls where he's going to step in for Joe. I don't know how you do it, but you come up with a formula and you get McKinstry on the field and you give him an opportunity to prove, to prove that he can handle the load or not. And right now I think that he can, but we're not seeing enough of that where he's tangibly, uh, demonstratively uh, proving that. But I give him the opportunity because I think he has more upside than the guys we have out there. And I want to get his upside on the field and developed incrementally even before this last uh, sort of home stretch of the season and before we get into any potential playoffs or bowl game uh, situations. I want to have a more developed um, McKinstry on the field. So that's uh, so those are the couple things I would do. I would simplify the the, the personnel groupings, not not uh, not the players. I'm not limiting the the rotations. In fact, I want to expand the rotations, but the personnel groupings, uh, and then I start to platoon Hellums. Uh, I figure out how to get uh, Branch and Malachi on the field at the same time. And I work in uh, McKinstry. So those uh, those are some things that I would definitely do to work on the defense. Uh, let's go mini game ball. And, boy, there was a point in the season where I didn't think I would call his name, uh, especially under this type of category. Uh, I'm going to give my mini game ball to, this week to uh, Daniel Wright. There was a particular play where he uh, he was in, and so Alabama would have been in a, uh, in a dime. And it was a wheel right route. And so it was run to the offense's right, so the defense's left. Uh, earlier in the game, uh, wheel routes seemed to – wheel routes and tight ends. Holy shit, you could run a whole offense based on wheel routes and tight ends, and you could really give Alabama fits. Uh, well, earlier in the game, Texas A&M proved that to be true as they hit a couple of nice wheel routes to what would have been the left of the offense and the, and the right uh, of the defense. But they ran essentially the same sort of play – just the other way. And again, the idea is sort of keeping Alabama napping. And Daniel Wright sniffed that out and didn't make a play other than he took out that option from the play. And that was the guy. That was That's who they were going to. And Daniel Wright, and he's fast enough that he can stick with, with folks in coverage. And so he read it, he anticipated, and he uh, stuck his foot in coverage and then rode with the guy, you know, and it just basically took the, the play out. And, and we know that that's where they were going. We don't know that, but we know that that's where they were going. Uh, and they were expecting to, uh, to sort of – they visualize that as a mismatch. Oh, they're going to get that Daniel right. He's, he's good for a good a big play, and we've said that on the show. And, uh, and so the fact that he covered that very, very well, and otherwise his name wasn't called, we just happened to see that on the, on the TV. And so hats off to, uh, to Daniel Wright in that regard. All right, let's go look at special teams. Uh, a couple of just quick things I want to say about special teams. And there's some good and bad here. Uh, and we both know that. Uh, we all know that. Uh, the blocked punt was just phenomenal. I think I leapt out of my chair uh, yelling. I think I scared some people. It is, you know, down by 14, they're backed up. You block the punt. You recover it for the touchdown. Uh, I love that it was Ja'Cory Brooks. So one of the highly regarded true freshman wide receivers is in there making a play. I like to see that. I like to see him at the receiver position, but I was glad to see him contribute and make a play. And then uh, King Makuda, you know, similarly a guy that's been around, limited sort of play time on the field, uh, but the fact that he recovered it for a touchdown uh, was phenomenal. That was a big – for about seven seconds of game time, that was huge. Uh, immediately, immediately – Alabama gives up uh, a kick return for a touchdown, and and you look at it, and you could you can step back and say, well, okay, that nets out. We're back to fourteen down, and you know we scored seven, they scored seven. All it did was bump the score. Uh, if you're betting the over, but it's it doesn't change the complexion of the game because the score nets out the same. I don't believe that. Uh, I believe those seven points were worth more to Texas A&M than they were to Alabama. Now, mathematically, the points on the scoreboard are the points on the scoreboard. But the infusion of energy and excitement and confidence from from those plays meant more to Texas A&M than they did Alabama. Alabama was more like, thank God, we got something going in our way, the score. And for A&M, it was a shot in the arm that says, we can play with these guys. We can win this game. And when they ran that back – it really was Alabama doing everything they can to scrap and claw to make it to a one-score game, and A&M just pulled the rug right out and said, nope, we're going to keep this a two-score game. And so I think you want to net it out and say, well, it didn't impact the outcome of the game. I think it did. 
Uh, I think it did. Uh, I think it really it put the momentum back in their court at a time where we didn't want them to have the momentum. And it gave them the psycho- uh, psychological sort of fortitude that says, if they hit us in the mouth, we can hit them back. Uh, we can stand up to it and we can hit them back. And so uh, it was a really, really good special teams play on our part, the block punt, recovery, and a really, really bad special teams play in giving up the uh, kickoff return for a touchdown. They Alabama kicks not going out of the end zone. Not a fan of that. Uh, not a fan of giving them the ball on the 35. So that's frustrating when it goes out of bounds. Will Reichert was 3 of 3 on his field goals and 3 of 3 on his uh, PATs. Uh, that's great. I like it. We can live with that. James Burnup just isn't doing it for me. Uh, he had four punts for an average of 35 yards and a long of 43. When I look at his stats and I say, you know, the long, the the average should be 43 and he should have a long up near 50. Uh, that's what I would want to see in a stat line. And for Grins, I looked at uh, was this Costantino, uh, the Texas A&M punter. Well, guess what? He had four punts. He averaged 44 yards, so his average was longer than Burnup's long. And uh, the Tamu kicker uh, punter, uh, his long was 50 yards. And so uh, he, the A&M has the, uh, punter, has the stat line that I wish Burnup had. Uh, had. And so at this point, uh, you know, when we've seen Saban do this, there's a lot of things that go into selecting who's going to be the punter, the trajectory of the punt, the style of the punt. It's not just the yardage. I understand all of those things. Uh, But we've also had punters that could do those things and kick it longer. And so uh, I feel very strongly about that. So we've seen burn up this far. We've not seen a lot of rotation at the punters, so I don't expect that we will. But uh, I know that we have – uh, the dude from Troy and uh, and then the P-Rod kid uh, who a couple of years ago was really booting the ball. And so I know that we, and he, you know, he'd shank them too. And so we look for consistency, but uh, it, it looks like I, I would just like to go sit and watch punting practice for, you know, 20 minutes. What are these kids really doing that leads us to make these decisions? Because I, I've seen stronger legs on the team today that could average, you know, better than 35, but they're not out there. And I just wonder why. All right. So maybe we'll get the story on that one someday. Probably not, but it's something to watch. And uh, it's a point of interest. Uh, Maybe we'll get so explosively uh, outscore somebody that we'll get to see a backup punter come in and um, see what they can do. So something to root for. Uh, Speaking of explosively blowing someone out, uh, Mississippi State is next up. And uh, we certainly did that. Uh, to the Bulldogs uh, last year. And I would say Mississippi State is, you know, you can look at this, um, look at this a couple of different ways. You can say Mississippi State, and again, it's all sort of glass, you know, half full sort of situation. Mississippi State is catching an angry Alabama team right now. And uh, there are so many people, and we've talked about it, there's so many coaches, staff, uh, players that, that, individually have things that they know they need to clean up. And if all that starts to pull together and congeal together, this Alabama team is going to come out, you know, with their hair on fire next week. And so Mississippi state, you know, stands to be uh, in that line of fire. Uh, They also stand to be a passing attack that they can maybe give Alabama fits because the secondary is where we've had trouble and don't think they're not breaking down the A&M film seeing, you know, how the Aggies got open. Last year, Alabama played mostly a dime uh, against uh, Mississippi State. And so I think that, um, you know, that would be something interesting to see how the formations line up again uh, this week. I do think, and again, I go back to simplify, do we need to go, you know, a nickel base if we really should be playing a dime? Well, that's fine. The philosophy is let's stick with something. Let's choose something and stick with it. And so last year, this game was the dime, and I think we shut them out, or maybe it was three points. Uh, it um, Alabama had their way with Mississippi State last year, let's say it that way. Uh, and so if Alabama says, let's peel off that game plan, uh, let's take a look at that, let's overlay it with what we did against Mississippi State and say, you know what, 90% of the time we're going to run a dime and it's going to look like this. I'm comfortable with that. I think our players could play that, and I think they could play it very, very well, notwithstanding some of the rotations that I would put in. But just the schematic approach is uh, is what I'm going for there. 
I do think that uh, if we take you know sort of all of this into account, uh, Mississippi State, I think we're playing an angry Alabama team. Alabama is going to improve at least just incremental over this week. Uh, and I think the defense is going to dial in uh, a little bit. There's a lot for Alabama to build from. Again, 522 yards of offense, 38 points. You know, you take a mad Alabama that's going to polish things up a little bit and clean up some poor defense. Uh, plus, they're playing Mississippi State's defense is not as good as Texas A&M's defense. Uh, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that Alabama adds 12 points uh, to the margin. So that's a 50-point game. Uh, Mississippi State, I feel like maybe they score 20, uh, two touchdowns and two field goals. So uh, to me, this feels like a 50-20 to 20, uh, style game. And I guarantee you if that happens next, week's, uh, next week, I'll bet you about uh, Mississippi State scoring on four possessions. Uh, but I'll take that. As we sit here today, Sunday afternoon, uh, I'll take a 50 to 20 game and, uh, you know, play ball. So with that, uh, we're going to wrap this up. If you have any questions or want to engage with us, don't hesitate to reach out. Alabama football podcast at gmail.com. We're on the webs, uh, Alabama football podcast.com. Uh, there's a, a form on there where you can s- submit a, a question or you can just email us directly. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. You can find us there, Alabama Football Podcast. Look us up there. Uh, 100%, 100%, we welcome questions. We invite questions and participation. That's some of the most fun things that we do is engaging with the listeners. The Zoom call is a great example. If you want any information on that, don't hesitate to to reach out. And with that, we're going to wrap this up. Hey, gang, we're going to get through this. Uh, Man, it sucks to lose a game. I'm not going to suggest that it doesn't. I give a lot of congratulations to Texas A&M. They truly did something that I didn't think they were capable of. And I also look at this Alabama team has so much that they just let run down their leg. And if they get, uh, if the tide gets their act together, this still has an opportunity. Elite seems to be the word people are using this year, whatever. This still has an opportunity to be an elite team. I do believe I do believe if Alabama lined up and played Texas A&M, you know, six more times that the Tide would win five of them. I really do believe that because I think the, the you know, the depth of, of personnel, the upside of all of the talent at all of the positions, uh, I think so many of the position group matchups lean towards Alabama. But on this day, A&M did what they did, uh, did what they needed to do uh, to win the game. And so what we need to do is Alabama fans – is not overreact in the negative about the exception event. We need to acknowledge that it happened, take it for what it is. And as Saban says, don't let, uh, how's he say it? Don't lose the lesson from a loss or, uh, you know, don't, don't lose the opportunity to, to learn, you know, from a loss. And I think this is, I think this is one of those, one of those situations. Uh, I don't like the fact that, you know, losing to an assistant, but that's okay. We're at 96% beating assistants. I like that. I like the fact that, you know, the record of a hundred wins against unranked opponents. I like the symmetry of it being a hundred and to think that that goes all the way back to the Louisiana game so many years ago now, uh, I think is phenomenal. And I think I like, uh, and I'm glad I kept rambling here because there's a thought that, uh, that I saw in Saban's uh, presser, that to me, a couple people wrote about it or mentioned it, but they didn't. There was a message that Saban had there, and he could almost see it on his expression. Uh, the 19 game winning streak. And someone asked about the 19 game winning streak. And those types of questions are sort of fraught with Alabama's, the games passing them by. And Saban makes a very particular point. And if you go back and listen to him, he makes a very particular point. He said, when we lost to South Carolina, in 2010, 11 years ago, we had a 19-game winning streak then. And so what he's really saying is, we've been doing this shit a long time. We got this figured out. Uh, this giving up a 19-game winning streak, that's not going to be, that's not the end of the program. We did this, we did this a decade ago. And go check the numbers on what we've done since 2010. And so I think there's some it might be some t- some challenging practices, some challenging meetings, but I think the message is we've rebounded from worse than this, and we're going to rebound from this. And so I think as Alabama fans, it sucks, but 
keep that in mind. Keep that maybe at the front of your uh, front of your mind. And if we go into this next week game, sort of with a level of anticipation, then uh, I think that first quarter against Mississippi State could be especially fun. Not a relief. It's not a relief. Maybe a little bit. It's going to be fun because we're going in with a level of expectancy, and we should. I think this next week is going to is going to be exciting. We're going to get a lot of reports about good practices and and such, and uh, good stuff to listen to, and uh, good stuff to watch out for. All right, enough of the solar post show ramble. Let's wrap this up. This has, in fact, been sources say another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a roll tie. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and, of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide.